John Constantine, a Hellblazer podcast. Everybody and welcome back. Before we get into the episode, just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast, and all that means is that we are way behind where I'm at in Patreon. So if you are loving this podcast and you need more John Constantine in your life, definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books and sign up for the Hellblazer tier, where you'll get access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've recorded so far, and also you'll get access to the exclusive episodes of the Planes, Trains, and Comic Books main podcast. So if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 57, and just a little catch up on what happened in the last issue. There was a man named Danny who could not stop yelling his secrets out loud in public, and this was part of a curse from a demon so John noticed that and tries to help the man out. So once he hears Danny's story, he goes to research the demon that Danny said was doing this to him. And that demon was the demon named Triskali. And so John looks up Triskali, finds out that Triskali does not do 10 year deals. And Danny had said that he sold his soul for 10 years to Triskali. So he knows Danny's lying. It turns out when he confronts Danny about it, that Danny had bought an extra five years by killing his wife and sacrificing his unborn child's soul to Triskali when she came to collect. And that only bought him five more years. So now it's been 10 years and that's why all this stuff has been going on with Danny where he can't keep secrets and he keeps saying his deepest, darkest desires out loud. And also John knowing that this is 10 years, that means that Triskali's coming back and going to require either Danny's soul or another soul and when John walked into Danny's basement, he found another baby that was sitting in a bassinet ready to be sacrificed to Triskali. And John saves that baby and just walks out with it and leaves Danny to the demon Triskali. And that was where we left off on the last issue. It was kind of a cool one shot, uh, but now we're starting a small storyline. So first things first with issue 57, we got the cover here. We see there is a dead body that has like a broken neck and its jaw looks like it's out of place. And it is sitting in a chair because it's tied to it. So the ropes are holding it up. And we also see behind it that there is a target. Like someone is having target practice with dead bodies. And we also see that this issue is written by Garth Ennis with art by Steve Dillon. And this isn't the first time we've seen Steve Dillon, but I think he comes back as the main artist and stays on after this story arc. So we start off on page one and we see that there is some kind of gated facility and there's a sign that says keep out. And as we zoom in to different shots of this facility, we see that outside of it, there are some trucks. And in those trucks, people are removing something from the back of them. And as the workers bring the cargo into the building, we see eventually that the cargo is in fact dead bodies. And we're getting some narration from one of those dead bodies, specifically the one that the men are handling at the moment, because we're seeing the chair from the cover and it looks like they're going to put this dead body in the chair. So the narration says, it just wasn't fair. The souls of the departed watched from the hereafter, slow and sad, as the flesh they once wore was dumped like shit off the trucks, 
and taken into a stark gray nowhere and prepared for desecration. And we get a closer shot of that body as two scientists lock it into that chair so it can't move. And behind the chair are a bunch of sandbags. And the narration continues. The dead were heartbroken to see their bodies treated so. They had lived their lives in these mortal shells, loved and laughed and shouted and sung. And then we cut to the past where we see the dead man who was in the chair is now in a bed naked with a woman. And it says, Jerry Connolly lost his virginity at the end of a perfect 16th birthday party. He never saw the girl again, but he never forgot her either. Then we cut to another dead body story who we haven't met yet. And it says, Ann Bishop worked for the civil service all her life, but she took their money and kept her soul as she saw the world. The things she saw most people only dreamed about. And then we get a panel of Anne from when she was alive and she is on vacation looking at the Egyptian pyramids. Then we get a panel of another man we haven't met and this is just another story of one of the bodies that these scientists are using. And this person is named Jim Masters and he's just sitting on his rock wall with his dog drinking a glass of whiskey and it says, Jim Masters never sold his seven acres, no matter how much he was offered. Every night he'd watch the sun dip behind the hills with a whiskey in his hand and old Sal at his feet. What was he going to spend the money on anyway? Then we come back to the lab where we see the scientists are done setting up the body of the first man, Jerry, and the narration continues. There was Jerry and Ann and Jim and so many others, and they couldn't look away from any of it, couldn't put their time on the earth behind them. Then we see one of the scientists give a thumbs up to his partner, and then we cut to inside of a room where two other scientists are sitting, and one of them hands a magazine of bullets to the other one, and we see that in front of the other one is some sort of rifle. And there's also a camera in this room, so they're recording this experiment, I guess. So the scientist that handed the other the magazine begins to talk, and he's setting up for the video what's going to happen. He says, 20 rounds, 7.62, hollow point, range, 2.5, camera on. And then he puts on some ear protection and gives the go-ahead to the scientist in front of the rifle. So that scientist begins firing at the body of Jerry. And the body of Jerry, of course, gets pelted with bullets. And basically his whole head and everything explodes. And the narration over those panels says, It made heaven worthless, this kind of thing. It just wasn't fair. And we see the name of this issue is Mortal Clay. Then we cut to London where we see John and Chaz walking down the street. And we get some narration as they're talking. It says, summer in London, hot, smelly, sweaty, lots of tourists. If it wasn't for me mates, I'd go around the bend. Then we hear Constantine yell out to Chaz, bollocks. I mean, no way, Chaz. And then Chaz responds, I'm telling you, he did. Dave's been laid off for over a year and saw the ad and he went for it. It's solid cash. And then John replies questioningly, but a sperm donor? And then Chaz looks back at him and says, we can't all hypnotize bank managers. They give you a little bottle and a porn mag and a tenner a time. Seems fair enough to me. And then John kind of smiles at this and says, it would. And then John's narration kicks in saying, nothing much to do these days, except the little ordinary things I'm getting to like more and more. We're off to see Chaz's uncle. He'll probably be a Burke too. And I hadn't heard that word before, Burke. And apparently it's a derogatory term, but like a friendly derogatory term that means fool or prat or a twit. So as they're about to enter Chaz's uncle's house, Chaz is giving John the lowdown saying, Uncle Tom's a dozy old sod, but he's a laugh, tells dirty stories and stuff. And John asks jokingly, 
Does he know the one about the wanker who got paid by the tug? And as Chaz opens the door, the dog of the uncle jumps on him immediately and kind of goes a little crazy. And Chaz yells, down, Mickey, piss off. And then as they walk in and the dog kind of settles down, Chaz yells out, Uncle Tom, it's me. And he doesn't get any replies, so he walks further into the house and goes into the study. And as he walks in, he's saying, you win, Uncle Tom? It's Chaz. Are you? And then as the door fully opens, he sees his uncle sitting in a chair and his uncle has passed. Then we cut to some time later where the ambulance has arrived and taken the body and John narrates heart attack. There's an ambulance, feigned concern from the orderlies, a body bag. A man's life is neatly filed away in under 10 minutes. And there's poor old Chaz with his dead uncle and his good day cut from under him. Then we see John walk up to Chaz, who's very sad, kind of leaning off to the side against a brick wall. And John says, Chaz? And Chaz answers, sod it, John. I need a drink. So then we get a panel of Chaz and John sitting in a pub. And we see in front of Chaz, there's a bunch of empty pint glasses. And John doesn't look like he's doing much talking or drinking. And the narration says, he does more than I do. And later when we're stumbling home and the bitterness has run its course and all that's left is misery. Then we get a panel of them walking together drunk and Chaz says to John, John, I need to ask you something. And John replies, yeah? And Chaz asks, you know, about all this stuff you do. I mean, you know the truth, not the bullocks that the vicar and all tells us. Is my Uncle Tom in a better place? And John's face doesn't stare at Chaz at all because I think he feels guilty because he's about to lie to Chaz. He says, of course he is, mate. And then John's narration says, what the frig am I supposed to say? This isn't the time to be cynical and all bloody knowing. Then we cut to Uncle Tom's funeral where Chaz's family and John are standing around Chaz's uncle's grave. Then we cut to after the funeral and Chaz and John are walking through the cemetery and John's narration says, Afterwards, we go for a walk through the graveyard, just so Chaz can avoid the polite cups of tea and sympathy, and so we can talk. And Chaz is saying to John, You didn't have to come today, John. I mean, it's not like he was your mate or anything. But then John turns to Chaz and says, Nah, but you are. And then because John turned his head as he said that, he sees something and pauses, and Chaz looks at him and says, Uh, John, are you alright? And then Chaz turns to see what he's looking at, and what John was looking at is three men who look a lot like those scientists from earlier in the issue, robbing the grave of Chaz's uncle. Like they're literally pulling out the coffin and then they have a crowbar and they've pulled off the lid and they're in the process of pulling the body out and about to throw it into a van. So John yells out, Jesus! And Chaz yells out, bastards! And then they rush down the hill that they were on top of towards the men. Chaz, of course, is leading because he's more angry than John about this. And John's narration says, Chaz isn't stopping to think. Gonna have to go straight in, back him up. Shit, I hate punch-ups. And then as Chaz is about to reach the men, he yells, you dirty freaking bastards! And then of course, since John is wearing like dress shoes because he was just at a funeral, he begins to slip down the hill because the grass is slippery and his narration says, slipping, Christ, I can't stop. Need something to break my fall. And then luckily, one of the guys was kind of right in his way, so John just kind of leans in and knees the guy in the chest, and he narrates, he'll do. And it seems that John and Chaz have taken the three out pretty easily. We see two of the men are incapacitated, grabbing different parts of their body that were punched, 
And Chaz has the other one in his grasp. He's holding the man up by the collar and it looks like he's about to punch him again. And John's narration says, one of them's nose butted Chaz in the forehead. The last one's no trouble either. Calm down. And John says, calm down, but he's thinking that to himself because Chaz is going crazy on this last guy yelling at him. And as he's got him by the collar, he's yelling, what are you doing? That's my uncle's body you're pissing about with. What the hell are you bloody friggers doing? Then we see another car pull up. And I forgot to mention this earlier, but all three men that just got beat up were wearing orange coveralls. And the men that get out of the car that just arrived are also wearing orange coveralls. So before the men that just arrived enter the fight, Chaz grabs the man he has been yelling at by the face and he proceeds to place his thumbs over the man's eyes. It doesn't look like he's pressing that hard, but any pressure would hurt, but it doesn't look like he's trying to blind the man, but he's still yelling at him saying, I'll friggin' have your eyes out, tell me. And the man is saying, no, don't hurt me, I'll talk. We get money for him, 500 to go. It's at Stokely, ask him for God's sake, please. But just then the other men enter the fight and they begin beating John and Chaz up. And they're not holding back. They're kicking John in the face. They're punching Chaz. One of them has a crowbar. And John's narration says, should have been watching my back. That's why I hate fighting. I'm crap at it. I'm being kicked to shit. A yelp from Chaz says ditto for him. I'll be passed out any second. And then we get a completely black panel because John is passing out. And the narration in this one actually starts to fade. So it says, why didn't I stay in bed this morning? But then apparently John and Chaz are okay. Uh, maybe they were just left there beaten once they were passed out because the next panel we see Kit is answering her door, staring at the two of them as they look all beaten and bloody. And she says, Jesus, what happened to you two? And John kind of smirks as he walks in and jokes, you should have uh, seen the other guys, love. And Kit asks, have you been fighting? What if I told you about getting into a bother without me to help? And then John jokingly requests, Make us a cup of tea, would you? The nurse and casualty said I wasn't to strain myself. And Kit looks at him like, you're pushing it. And she says, I'll bet she did. And what about you, Chaz? Does your wife know where you are? And Chaz answers, oh, bloody hell, Kit. You must be joking. And then Kit can't believe Chaz's attitude towards his wife. So she says, God above. All right, two teas, but only because you're a pair of sorry idiots. Then we cut to them all sitting in the living room in Kit's apartment. And John's narration says, we tell Kit the lot, and it sounds even stranger when you say it out loud. Body snatching in this day and age? And while John is talking, Kit is looking at an atlas of England, I suppose, and she says, Stokesley, got it. It's a wee town up in the north of Yorkshire. And then John turns to Chaz and says, Sheepshagger country. You give us a lift up there tomorrow, Chaz? And Chaz answers, Bloody right I will. I'm coming with you on this one, okay? And John's kind of hesitant about this and says, now, hold on. But Chaz cuts him off saying, no, I won't hold on. That's my uncle's body the Friggers have nicked. Maybe you still think I'm a tosser who will never amount to anything, but I want me own back. And Kit kind of smiles in agreement and says, you tell him, Chaz. And John turns to her speechless, shocked that she would agree with Chaz. So outnumbered, John says, okay, okay, I know when I'm beat. Just the once, though. I'm not having you turn into my trusty sidekick or something. And then Kit makes a joke about this saying, Quick, Chaz, to the piss-up mobile. So then we cut to after Chaz leaves and John is talking to Kit in her apartment and we see John's narration says, Chaz goes home to get his head eaten off. And that's that. This time I won't be alone. And then Kit is talking to John saying, Sorry, love, I wasn't a wild lot of help there. And John shrugs it off saying, Nah, you're okay. 
he's right. I'm always treating him like a chump. I told him his uncle was somewhere better, and now I want to make things right for my mate, you know what I mean? And Kit nods her head, and John continues. But even then, well, I've got a lousy habit of getting my friends killed, and I don't want Chaz to... Shit, I don't know. And then Kit tries to comfort him, saying, Aye, but if he wants to go, it's up to him. And then she kisses John on the cheek and says, Just make sure you come back to me in one piece, alright? And John kind of smiles and says, Right. Then we cut back to that science facility from the beginning where they were shooting the dead bodies. And we're seeing the head doctor of this whole facility. And he's talking to one of the men who was at the cemetery stealing the body of Chaz's uncle. Specifically the one that told Chaz all the information when Chaz was threatening him. So we see the doctor say, please repeat that. Please repeat what you just said. But the man is confused and he kind of hesitates saying, uh, Dr. Amos, I, uh... And then the doctor says, It's a simple request, Stephen. Although I heard you and understood your report, I would like you to repeat the last part so that we both may consider its importance. Now please, repeat it. So the man repeats it and saying, I, I, uh, told the bloke where the center was, sir. But I mean, he was... But the doctor cuts him off before he can finish saying, Thank you, Stephen. I'm afraid we won't be paying you this week. Or the next. It will be an incentive to you to make that little extra effort that's so important in an operation like this. Good evening to you, Stephen. And then we see Stephen leave, and he closes the director's door, and he says to himself, Jesus. Then we see the doctor walking to the shooting range, and there are two scientists who are already there, and they're getting the weapons ready for another test. And it seems like they're kind of surprised to see him, because they're like, Oh, uh, Dr. Amos. And Dr. Amos replies, Good evening, Matthew. Good evening, Warren. Please, carry on. And then one of the scientists says, Yes, sir. Uh, I wanted to ask. The thing is, sir, I can understand ballistic tests up to a point, but when you're dealing with something like a 50 caliber, why bother with the dum-dums? We know what the effect will be. It'll blow whatever it hits to pieces. And in an ultimate power move, Dr. Amos doesn't say anything. He just closes his eyes, and he has a weird smile on his face, almost like he's hearing some kind of music in his head and doesn't say anything. And the scientist who asked the question was waiting for a response, and when he realizes he's not gonna get it, he awkwardly moves on, saying, I, I'll just get on with the test, sir. And then he awkwardly begins the test by announcing the test to the camera, saying, um, 11.1 crosscut, full belt, range 2.5, camera on. And then the scientist next to him, who is ready to fire, begins firing the 50 caliber machine gun at one of the bodies, I'm hoping it's not Chaz's uncle. Because we get six panels of what these 50 caliber bullets will do to a body. The first one strikes it in the chest and the entire chest explodes. And the next hit the body in the head and neck. And those both explode on the top and bottom. And all that's left that we can see of the body is the part of the head that holds the eyes, just that one section. So like the, the top of the skull is gone the bottom jaw and everything below that is gone. And while this carnage is taking place, we see panels of Dr. Amos watching this test and with every bullet strike, we're zooming into his face more and more. And the reason we're doing that is because the entire time he has the creepiest little smile on his face. And as he watches the final bullet strike the cadaver, he muses to himself, kind of answering the question that the scientist asked before without any answer. And he says, why bother? Mm. Then we cut to Chaz and John 
and they are sitting in Chaz's car at a rest stop on their way to Stokesley. And the first panel is outside the car, so we can't really see what's inside, but we just hear John say, I'll tell you the trouble with this place, Chaz. Then we cut to the inside of the car, and we see both men are smoking vigorously, and the car is completely filled with smoke. And John continues, too much bleeding fresh air. Nice motor, by the way. And Chaz says, cheers. Bought it with the money you gave me, remember? And I believe Chaz is referencing when John gave him an envelope full of cash when John thought he was dying from cancer. So then Chaz asks, so how'd you get on in the shop back there? And John replies, right, well, the old deer behind the counter said there was a research center up the road here a bit. Been there since the 50s. Nothing unusual like, they've done chemical tests, food safety checks, water purification. The interesting bit is up until last year, the government owned it. The locals got skivvy work off the scientists. No bad feeling or anything like that. All of a sudden, some private company buys it up and bang. No more jobs. Just outsiders coming in. Nobody knows what they do either. And Chaz replies, sounds like what we're after, doesn't it? And John says, yeah, I mean, the blokes we tackled weren't from around here either. I heard the Scouser, at least two of them from South London. Even a jock. And I'm not exactly sure what a jock is. It, I'm thinking it means a French person, but maybe I'm wrong. So anyway, Chaz asks, so what's the plan? And as usual, John answers, don't know, mate. Need to find out a bit more. Hope you packed your hiking boots. Then we cut to them climbing up a hill, and it's a pretty steep one, and John is thinking to himself, he didn't. Me neither. Shit. And we see John is ahead of Chaz, and Chaz is breathing pretty hard, saying, hold, hold up, John. Need to catch my breath. And then when Chaz reaches John, John puts a cigarette in Chaz's mouth and lights it. And Chaz says, cheers. God, why do these nutters always hang around the arson of nowhere? And then John says, not always. Remember the bloke that had the flat below yours in CalFam with the scalp collection? And Chaz answers, oh, Jesus, yeah. But then something draws John's attention away. And Chaz asks, John, what's up? And John says, you hear that? And I should say that they didn't quite finish cresting the hill. They had stopped just before the top of it, so they can't really see over it yet. So John takes off for the top and he yells, gunfire. And then John stops at the top as he looks over the hill and we can't see what he's seeing until Chaz gets there. Then we get the reveal of the facility, which we've seen a little bit of on the first page. It is a one-story building in the shape of an H, at least the part that they can see. And of course it's surrounded by sidewalk and the building is pink. I'm not sure if that building is supposed to actually be pink or if that was just for an effect in the coloring. And then it's surrounded by a chain link fence on all sides. And as Chaz gets to the top of the hill, he sees it and he says, oh, that it? And John sarcastically answers, nah, it's King Arthur's court. And Chaz replies to him, so how do we get in, smartass? And as Chaz says this, John is watching two trucks come up the road that lead to the entrance of this facility. So John says, we could try hitchhiking. And Chaz asks, you mean jumping? And Constantine says, yeah. Then we get a panel of the trucks as they've slowed down to make a turn. And this is obviously the point that John and Chaz have chosen to jump into the backs of them. So we see them running after the trucks and John's narration says, we wait till they slow down for a bend, start sprinting and pray. The engine noise drowns out the screams. We're too old for this for Christ's sake. And we get a great panel of Chaz and John both struggling to get into the truck and they are having a heck of a time just catching it, much less pulling themselves up into the back of it. And I should say, these are like military style trucks. So 
there's a big canvas canopy over the back bed of the truck. So they are able to make it into the back. And once they get in, John says, holy shit, you all right, mate? And Chaz replies, half bloody ruptured myself. And then Chaz gets curious about what they're sitting on because they're just sitting on top of a tarp, but there's something lumpy underneath. So he lifts up an edge saying, what's this we're on anyway? And John tries to stop him saying, don't. And he says this because he knows exactly what it is. We see John's narration say, soft and lumpy and cold as ice, oh hell. So Chaz actually finishes taking off the tarp and reveals a bunch of dead bodies in the back of the truck. And immediately Chaz freaks out and he literally jumps out of the truck in the middle of the courtyard of this facility. And John's narration says, I don't blame him. But of course, the guards at the facility see a man jump out of the back of the truck and they yell, over there, get him, stop the truck. And Chaz doesn't even have time to stand up before the guards are on him. And they're pointing rifles at him saying, don't get up. And it's not just Chaz they've caught. Since they stopped the truck, they look into the back and they see John and they direct him at gunpoint too saying, get out slowly, pal, very slowly. And John turns to the man and says, eat shit. Then we see in one of the windows from the building that Dr. Amos and another man are talking and watching this spectacle. And the man standing next to the doctor says, you were right, Dr. Amos. And Dr. Amos replies, yes. Once Stephen told them where we were, they would either summon the police or act independently. Fortunately for us, they chose the latter. And then it seems like the doctor gets an idea in his head and he says, well, it would appear we may at last begin our tests on living tissue. And that ominous line is the last line of the issue. So if you guys got any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email me at planes, trains, and comic books, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see you on the next one.